happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I hope y'all had an incredible week and an amazing Thanksgiving celebrating with family and friends. How many of you ate too much food? How many of you have already devoured all the leftovers? All right, so there's a little bit left for today, right? Praise the Lord for that. We love those leftovers. So again, happy Thanksgiving. My name is Daniel Norris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings. I'm excited to be here with you this morning as we wrap up our series in the letter of Philippians that we've been in really since the spring. We started in Philippians chapter 1 and started uh, walked through that during the spring. Uh, then Philippians 2, then we took a break, then 3, and then now 4. And here we are today, finally at the very end of this series. It's been an amazing journey. And throughout this journey, I was just thinking back and reflecting, we have learned some pretty incredible things. We've learned to be patient in our suffering and to rejoice in any and all circumstances. We've learned to lead generous lives as Christ is generous towards each and every one of us. We've learned how important it is to have uh, friends and community, those that are there uh, to love us and support us and encourage us and pick us up when we can't pick ourselves up. Amen? We've learned lots of important things. And um, honestly, I could just sit here all morning and go on and on and on and on and on and recap all of the amazing things that we've learned throughout these four chapters. But kids, I promise you, I won't keep going on about it, all right? I know it's a family service. I know I'm already getting some looks from kids, and they're like, you better hurry up. You better wrap this up. Don't be too long. And so they're giving me the, the death glare. As I said, I'm going to go on and on and on. So I won't do that to them. Hey, speaking of family services, uh, how many kids we got in the room? Let me hear you, kids. Oh, uh, you better get loud like you're in kids' ministry. You can get loud. Or get loud. Let me hear you. All right, there we go. We got, we got some kids in the room, and we're excited to have Kids and students and college students, we've got all ages in here this morning since it's a family service. And so kids, students, college students, I'm going to need your help, all right? Are y'all with me? Uh, you don't sound like you're with me. Are you with me? All right. I, I need you to help me out here. I need you to think about some things, and this includes the youngest kids in here to the oldest kids in here. And that, I know dads, that doesn't count. You don't count, all right? the older kids, all the way up through college age, I need you to think about some things right now that your parents constantly remind you of. Oh, start thinking about it. Let, start thinking about it. What are some things that your parents remind you of? It may be uh, before you go to a friend's house. It may be before you get in your car to drive off, and they may say things like, hey, when you get over there, don't forget, use your manners, right? When you get, a, if you're driving students, they, they may say, hey, look at me, listen, be careful, put your seatbelt on, don't speed, oh, and, and no texting and driving, right? They remind you of things constantly. Parents, we do this, do we not? Amen, we do this all the time, don't I know I do. Why do we do this? We remind our kids, we remind our students, students, kids, your parents, your grandparents, they remind you of these things because these things are important. These things matter. What we're going to see this morning at the end of Philippians chapter 4 is that Paul does the exact same thing. He's done this all throughout the letter. We've talked about this over and over again, and today is no different. Paul is going to remind us of some things. Because Paul, if, you, if you've forgotten, Paul is like a spiritual father, and he's writing to his friends that are close, intimate friends. They're like family. They're, 
they're like his spiritual kids, and he's writing them this letter from Rome to Philippi, which is about 800 miles away, and he's saying, listen, I, I need you to remember some things. I, I don't want you to forget. Uh, I want you to remember the most important things. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 21 through 23, those very last three verses. And so kids, students, college students, I need your help loud and proud. What do we say when we get there? The Bible is what? The Bi let me hear you louder. The Bible is what? The Bible is true. Parents, let me hear you say it. Uh, see there? They, they got you, kids. They got you. The Bible is true. Starting in verse 21 through 23, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now let's be honest. As I just read those three verses, you're in, and I stopped, you're probably going, really? That's it? I, I think all Paul said was greetings. <laughs> hey, I, I greet you. The saints greet you. Those in Caesar's household greet you. He says he greets us three or four times. Now, we're in church, so don't lie, right, kids? We don't lie. Let's be honest. How many of you are like me? And you've read through Philippians 1, 2, 3, and you get to 4, and you've gotten all these good words, these amazing things. And then you get to the very end, and you see that Paul is like, he's wrapping this thing up. He is actually really done for the, he means it for the very first, he says therefore, or finally a lot of times, but this time he really means it. He's done. This is, these are his last words that he's writing. How many of you are like me, and you get to those verses, and you're like, Okay, yada, 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 pause. Okay, thanks, Paul. You're good to go. On to the next chapter. On to the next book. How many of you, be honest, and go, these are usually those verses that we get to, I see some heads nodding, and you just kind of skip over them. You don't really pay much attention to them, and you're just like, okay, he's just saying, peace out. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. How many of you do, let's be honest, raise your hands. How many of you just kind of skip past that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to admit I'm guilty of this. Like, I I've done that, I do that. I looked at these verses even a few weeks ago and I thought, really? <laughs> That's what I'm preaching on? Like, this is gonna be a challenge. And then I started to dig in and here's what I know, is even though we may think Paul's done, he's not done. He's got something pretty powerful that he wants to say. He's got an, an important reminder. He doesn't want us to forget the main thing. What is the main thing? Look at your neighbor and say, you're about to find out. Now look at your other neighbor and say, hey, you're about to find out too. You see, Paul's final words, in his final words, he's reminding the church at Philippi and he's reminding us today of his very first words. And his very first words are found in chapter one, verse 27. It'll be on the screens or you can follow along. Here's what it says. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the... Say it aloud, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the, the gospel. Did you catch that? In Paul's last words, he's pointing them back to his first words, and he's saying, 
hey, I need you to remember something. I need you to remember the main thing. How many of you have ever, ever heard someone say, hey, let's keep the main thing the main thing? Anybody ever, ever say that or heard that? Hey, let's keep the main thing the main thing. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, I, I'm, I know I'm wrapping this up. I know I'm done. But I want you to remember the main thing. And the main thing is what? It is the gospel. The main thing is the gospel. You may be asking yourself, what is the gospel? If you're here today visiting or if you've just been checking th this, this church thing out and trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's done and what the gospel means, let me just give you a couple of quick verses before we move on. I don't want to um, neglect this and just move on too quickly. The gospel in John 3.16 tells us this, that it is this. It is that God so loved the world. Let me, let me just do this. Go ahead and personalize that. Take out the world and put your name there, all right? When I read this, you put your name there. For God so loved Daniel that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, whose sake? Our sake, say my sake, for my sake, he made him who? His son, Jesus. He made him who knew no sin, in other words, was perfect in every way, to be sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. In other words, he made his son become sin on our behalf in order that we could be forgiven. He took all of our guilt and all of our shame away, and in exchange for that, he gave us his perfection and his righteousness. Kids, students, adults, here is the gospel. It is this. The gospel is Jesus in my place. Jesus came, lived the life that I could never live, then went to the cross, was beaten and murdered so that I could be forgiven. Then three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin, hell, and the grave all in one so that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I could receive the gospel and spend forever with God someday. Isn't that good news? That is the gospel. That is the good news. And Paul's saying this. Listen, he's saying if the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has radically transformed your life, then you should live like it. Let me say that again. If the gospel has radically saved you and changed you and transformed you and made you new, then every single day of your life, as long as there's a heart beating in your chest and breath in your lungs, you should live in response to that gospel the gospel that saved a wretch like you and me. Amen? Amen? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is the gospel. It is the fact that you and I have been radically saved, radically transformed by the love of God. He sent his one and only son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He's saying you and I should live like it, individually and collectively as the church. Remember who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a diverse group of people whose individual lives have been radically changed by Jesus. Remember the church at Philippi, how it got its start in Acts 16, remember? There was a lady named Lydia, do y'all remember her? 
Lydia, the dealer of purple goods, she was a fashionista, successful. Then there was a demon-possessed girl. She was saved by the gospel. Then there was the Roman jailer. He was saved by the gospel. All three of those people, radically different from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different walks of life, but the gospel saved each and every one of them, and this is the church at Philippi. It is a diverse group of people. And Paul is talking to those people and he's talking to these people in this room and those watching online today through his word. And he's saying, now that the gospel has radically changed you and saved you, and whether you come from East Texas or some other country, here's what you need to know. You should live in response to that gospel. You should live different. This word that we're reading in Philippians 4 is just as true for us today as it was for them back then when they received Paul's letters. If we have been changed by the gospel, then we are gospel people. And gospel people should live different. This morning as we wrap this up, Paul's gonna remind us of three powerful things that the gospel does for us, that it does in our lives. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. The gospel makes us family. How many of you had some family at your house this week? How many of you went and saw family this week? How many of you are like me and you have a pretty crazy family? Anybody willing to admit that? If they're here sitting next to you, don't look at them. Don't nudge them, don't elbow them. But we have some, my family is pretty diverse. My family is pretty uh, special, if you will. Pretty eclectic, right? So family, that's just what family is, isn't it? Paul wants us to know that the gospel has the power to make us family. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Did you catch that? As Paul concludes this letter, he asked the Philippians to do what? To greet every saint. He says, listen, I want you to greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. Listen, he calls every single person who has committed their lives to Jesus Christ a saint, not because they're perfect, not because they're religious, not because they have a, a halo floating over their heads. Listen, a saint is not a superhero of the faith. Did you know that? I know a lot of times when we hear the word saint, we think of St. Peter or St. Paul. We think of some um, being on stained glass windows, some celestial being. This is not at all what a saint is. Listen, saints are sinners like you and me who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Did you catch that? If you are in Christ, and if your neighbor's in Christ, then listen, I want you to look at him and say, hey, guess what? You're a saint. Go ahead and look at him right now. Tell him, you're a saint. I know, I know you may not look like it or smell like it, but you're a saint. Now tell the other person, hey, guess what? You're a saint too. You're a saint. If you are in Christ, you are a sinner saved by grace, and because of that, you are now a saint. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. You and I are saints Look at what Paul says in his letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verse 17 and 21. He says this. He says, therefore, if anyone who, I'll say it like you mean it, if what, if who, 
If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. For our sake, we read this a minute ago, he made him who knew no sin, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the gospel makes us family. Let me just pause here for a moment because I don't want you to mistake this. In the gospel, there are no family plans. You know your cell phone bill where you got a group plan or a family plan and that if you're just part of the family, you get to automatically be part of that family plan? Don't mistake that. Don't mistake this for that. In the gospel, there are no family plans. There's no group plans. In other words, kids, students, college students, if your mom and dad are Christians, your grandparents are Christians, that does not automatically make you a Christian. There's no family plans. Now on the flip side of that equation, moms, dads, grandparents, hear me on this. If your sweet little saint sitting next to you is a follower of Jesus Christ, because they have asked for forgiveness, placed their faith and trust in him and personalized the gospel message in their life, just because your sweet little boy or girl is a saint does not automatically make you a saint. Amen? Just because your children or your grandchildren are following Jesus does not automatically make you a part of that plan and that family plan. There is no family plan when it comes to the gospel. Listen, every individual must make a decision for themselves. Every individual must respond to the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and then receive that gift for themselves, amen? And Paul wants us to know that when you and I respond to the gospel, we become family, we become saints, and we become part of God's family. In Colossians, he says, listen, if you're in Christ, this is the way he puts it, he says, you are a new creation. You are a saint. And this changes everything. It not only becomes our relationship, it not only changes our relationship to God, but it also changes our relationship to one another because we become family. And that's why Paul can call the church in Philippi saints. And he can say this, that the brothers who were with him send greetings as well. See, the only thing that makes the church a family and that makes you and I brothers and sisters is Jesus. Uh, think about it for a moment. The church is made up of different people from different backgrounds and different upbringings and different perspectives. If you just look around this room for a moment, just take a second. Look around. It's okay. People aren't going to think you're weird. Look at the people beside you and to the other side and even turn around and give the person behind you a weird glare. Go ahead and look at them. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Do they look just like you? Unless they're your identical twin, the answer is no. Do they talk like you? Do they walk like you? Do they act like you? No. Every family member is different. It really doesn't make any sense when you think about it. 
that we would be sitting in this room next to each other doing life together. I mean, apart from the gospel, we may not cross paths or engage with each other at all. But there's this one thing. Everybody say one thing. There's this one thing that brings us all together, and that is Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter four, verses four through five. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, we're about to celebrate that this Christmas season. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, you and I, might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That's a powerful statement. That is what God was doing when he sent his only son. He was sending his son in order to build his family. I was thinking about this this past week. Um, I know some of you are gonna find this hard to believe, but... It's hard for me to remember at times when I think back all the way back to junior high. I mean, it was only a few years ago, right? But I was thinking back to my seventh grade year, and I became best friends with a guy named Chris Dwyer. Chris was originally from Mexico City. Chris was adopted by his dad, Bill, when he was about four years old. And I remember that story his dad told us. He said, I'll never forget the day I pulled up next to the orphanage and Chris was standing on the corner and it was raining, freezing cold and he was wearing everything he owned on, him, on his body. He just looked like a, a giant ball of rags. His clothes were too big, his, his sleeves were this long, his pants were too long. Everything he owned, he had it on him. Four years old, standing by the curb. And he said, I picked up this little four-year-old, put him in my car, and I brought him home. See, the interesting thing about the Dwyer family is that Bill also had two other adopted sons. He had three boys that were adopted into that family, all from different backgrounds, all from different ethnicities and different countries, and they had different skin color, and they spoke different languages. But what was so amazing about the Dwyer family is this, is that regardless of what country they came from or what color skin they had or what language they spoke, is that now they were all adopted into one family. They had one father with the same last name, and they were family. And family changed everything for them. This is a beautiful picture of what the gospel does for each and every one of us, that God in his infinite goodness and in his wisdom saw each and every one of us when we were standing on the side of the road covered in nothing but rags. And he said, I want him, I want her, to come and be a part of my family. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to adopt them into my family, even if it, makes, it requires me sending my only son to pay the price for their sins, the price that they could never pay. I want them to be a part of my family. That's what we see in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, when he says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we, you and I, might receive adoption as sons and daughters. 
This is what the gospel does for us. It makes us family. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter. You see, the gospel of Jesus has created and continues to create a diverse family. Here's what I know about families. In a family, every person matters. Do they not? Every single person matters. I mean, think about your own families. It doesn't matter whether it's grandma or grandpa and they're well up in years or it doesn't matter if it's a newborn baby or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter if it's your biological children, your adopted children, your foster children. Every person in the family matters, do they not? Every person matters. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want us to miss this. When you look at this verse, look what Paul says. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. At the beginning of his letter in chapter one, Paul says, hey, greet all the saints. It's like a blanket statement. He says, greet all the saints, plural. But right here at the end, he says, no, no, no. I want you, those of you that have been changed by the gospel, those of you that belong to the family of God, I want you to greet every individual saint. I want you to see them. I want you to know their name because every saint matters. This is what Paul is saying in this moment. He's saying it doesn't matter who they are or where they come from, whether they're, they're Roman, whether they're Jewish, whether they, they come from, a, from Africa, whether they come from Mexico, whether they come from another country, whether they speak your language or not. If they are a saint, they're in the family. And if they're in the family, they matter. I was thinking about this and one of the things that we challenge our staff with here at New Beginnings and hopefully you've experienced this and if you haven't, hopefully you will. One of the real tangible, applicable ways that we try to live this out here at New Beginnings is it's one of our core values. One of our four core values here at New Beginnings is this, is that every person is valuable. That's our way of saying every saint matters, every person matters. We say every person is valuable. And so one of the ways we try to make you and you and you and all of you and even those of you that are online, but you, you might come here in person, we try to greet you by name. We want you to know, hey, that we, we see you. We know you. We, we wanna get to know you even more. We want you to know that you're part of the family, that you're valuable, that you matter so when we see you and we get to know you and we, we write down your name 20 times, if it were 20,000 times, if it takes that, we do it with the intention of going, I want them to know that they're valuable. I want them to know that they matter. When your children, Nikki and our, ki- our children's ministry team do this better than anyone I've seen, they've got hundreds and hundreds of kids that come through there every single week. And I promise you, she knows almost every one of those kids' names. Miss Adrian knows those babies in that preschool and Miss Yolanda knows them. She knows the moms and dads. She knows the grandma and grandpa. She know, they know your name because every person is valuable. What would it look like if we just started to do that in our own lives? Started to re- look, see people and, and get to know them and, re- and hear their stories and let them know that they're valuable by knowing their name and addressing them by name, regardless of their background, regardless of their skin color, regardless of what they look like. 
let them know that if they're in the family, they're a saint, and if they're a saint, then they matter. Every person is valuable. We're all saints, we're all brothers, we're all sisters, welcomed into the family of God, not because of anything that we did, but only because of what Jesus has done for us. The next thing Paul wants us to see, the second thing if you're taking notes is this, the gospel is for everyone. Look what he says in chapter four, verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. If you're taking notes, go ahead in your Bible, underline that, highlight that, circle it, underline it. That's a powerful statement in verse 22. And I don't want us just to blow past it. Let me give you some context and just remind you again Paul is writing this letter, but he's writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. Paul is chained to a Roman centurion 24-7. They don't want Paul to escape. Now, if it's you or me, we're probably in that situation going, woe is me, right? Pity party, miserable. We're thinking to ourselves, This is a Roman centurion. He wants to kill me. He doesn't really matter. He doesn't matter. He's my enemy, if you will. I mean, isn't that the way we would think, most of us? Like, this guy is chained to me. He's eventually probably gonna kill me someday. He doesn't matter. I I, I don't really wanna have a conversation with him. That's not Paul's mindset, is it? Paul has been radically changed by the gospel. Paul does not see that situation like you and I would see that situation. Paul knows that every person matters, that the gospel is for everyone. Paul's mindset is this, I'm not chained to them, they're chained to me. And as long as they're chained to me, guess what they're gonna hear? They're gonna hear about the life-changing power of the gospel. They're gonna hear about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and I'm gonna keep saying it over and over and over again till they're sick of hearing it. And so Paul says, listen, friends, I want you to know something. I send greetings to every single one of you because the gospel is for everyone, and just to prove my point, I want you to know that the gospel has made its way into the heart of the empire. Even the Roman soldiers are giving their life to Christ. Even the people who work for the Roman government, those who are here working in this palace, they are coming to know, they are coming to a saving faith in Christ. He wants us to know that every person matters and that the gospel is for everyone. Look back, if you will, Philippians chapter one. Here's what Paul says, verse 12 through 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance what? The gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Did you catch that? What's happened to me, it may look bad, but I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, the only thing that really matters. And it's been known throughout the whole imperial guard. 
and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul said, there, make no mistake about it. Every person that's chained to me, they know why I'm here. Every person that hears me talk, they know that I'm here for Christ. Paul is reminding us that the gospel isn't for a select group of people. It isn't just for Jews or some certain, certain ethnic group. It isn't for some social class. It isn't for those who vote one way or another. It isn't for those who look or act a certain way. When Paul says, especially to those in Caesar's household, it's his way of saying this, the gospel has made its way into the heart of the empire and the gospel is even for those who oppose you and persecute you. In this moment, Paul is saying, I know that this Roman soldier wants to cut my head off. He wants to take my life from me. But the gospel is for him just as much as it is for me. This soldier needs to hear about the life transformation, the life-changing power of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This Roman soldier and anyone else that will hear me needs to know that Jesus can radically change and transform their life just like he did mine. The gospel is for everyone. It's for the, the bullies at school, kids. It's for those people at work that don't treat you well, that, that ridicule you and make fun of you, that, do all, that treat you like garbage. It's even for them. No one is too far gone. There's no one that the gospel can't reach. And that's why Paul says, even those, especially those in Caesar's household, those that you thought couldn't be reached with the gospel, They've been reached with the gospel and they send greetings to you. They want you to know that they're part of the family now. So Paul writes that with great intention, letting us know that the gospel is for everyone. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, when the Bible says Gentile, it means everyone that's non-Jewish, everyone. Listen to how this first theologian described the gospel and what was happening in places like Philippi. What the first century world saw was the phenomenon of people of all walks of life loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another, praying for one another. Slaves and free men were in that community. Rich and poor were in the fellowship. Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens were in that community. Members of the establishment and those who violently opposed the establishment were part of that community. The intelligent and the illiterate were members of that community. To the utter amazement of the world outside, they were bound together in an unexplainable love and unity. Did you catch those last few words there? That last phrase. He says they were bound together. Sounds like family, doesn't it? They were bound together in an unexplainable love and unity. What is this unexplainable love and unity? Paul tells us what it is in his very last sentence. Verse 23, he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. The third thing Paul wants us to see about the gospel is this, that the gospel compels us to lead with grace. This unexplainable love and unity that, that, that this writer was writing about, it's, it's that very second word in that verse. It is the grace of God. It is God's unmerited favor. It is God's unexplainable love. It is God, listen, grace is God not giving us what we deserve, but giving us his mercy and loving kindness instead. Paul tells us that those who have received the grace of God should in turn be those who lead with the grace of God. Amen? We all want grace, do we not? And think about it. Moms, dads, I know teenagers never do this, but you run through a stop sign. You run a red light. You get caught speeding and the officer pulls you over. In that moment, you are praying and hoping that that officer extends what to you? Grace. Even though you're guilty, even though you deserve the ticket, you're going, man, I sure hope I get grace. I sure hope he gives me a warning. When, someone mis when you mistreat someone or you lash out in anger or you handle a situation poorly, you go to that person and you sure hope that they'll what? Extend what to you? Grace. You sure hope that they won't treat you the way you've treated them. You sure hope that they won't be mean and angry towards you like you were towards them. You sure hope they will extend love and kindness and mercy to you. Something I'm trying to teach my boys every single day. Man, be, be gracious. Don't, don't pay them back. Don't hit them and lash out in anger just because they didn't treat you the right way. Give them grace. Understand he may be having a bad day. You just caught him on the, at the wrong time of day. He said the wrong thing. I know it hurts your feelings, but you don't have to get him back. You don't have to pay him back. You can extend grace to him. Don't we love grace? It's an amazing thing. In fact, there's a song, the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, right? Y'all remember that one? That saved a wretch like me. I was thinking about this word grace, and I was thinking about how Paul tells us that the gospel should compel us to lead with grace. And I was reminded of a story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. In Luke 15, it's a, probably a pretty familiar story for most of you. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of the prodigal son, or in some translations, it would just say the lost son. And I'm just gonna paraphrase it for you for time's sake. But there's two sons, brothers, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to his father in, in that time and age, day and age, and he says, hey, listen, Dad, I know you're not gone yet. I know you're, you're not dead. You, I know you haven't passed away yet, but I want my inheritance. In other words, I, I want what's mine. What you're gonna give me someday when you're gone, I want it now. And in that day and age, in that culture, 
for a son to say that to his father was punishable by death. The fact that the son said basically, dad, I wish you were dead and gone, give me my money. The dad could have had the son killed. But the dad doesn't do that in the story, does he? The father gives the son what he asked for. He gives him the inheritance. And he probably looks at him and says, son, I, be careful. Don't hurt yourself. Don't go too far. Please come back home. You're always welcome here. And the son just ignores him. And the son goes and does what he wants to do. Says that the son ran off to a distant land and that he blew all of his inheritance, all of his money on wild living. You can just fill in the blanks. Finally, in the story, it says that the son hit rock bottom. He had blown all of his money. He didn't have a penny to his name. It says that he was broke and hungry. He says he found himself looking at what the pigs were eating and going, and that looks pretty good. I know some of you have had some difficult times in life, but I don't know anyone that's had to sit there and eat with pigs. That's how broke this guy is. As he says, man, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna eat with the pigs. I'm gonna eat whatever they have. And it says in that moment, as he's eating the slop that the pigs are eating, it says something miraculous happened. It says that he came to his senses have any of you ever came to your senses when you're like, man, this, this is not what I expected. This is not how I thought things would turn out. This is not the life that I thought I would have. What can I do with this, this, these cards that I've been dealt? Where do I go? Who do I turn to? It says that in this moment that the son comes to his senses and he realizes, man, I have sinned against my father. I have rebelled against the family. I'm gonna do the only thing I know to do and I'm gonna run back home and I'm gonna beg for mercy. I'm gonna beg my father that he would make me a slave because even his slaves have a roof over their head and food on their table. My father's slaves are far better off than I am and so I'm gonna run back to the father and I'm gonna ask him to do for me what only he can do, that he would just forgive me and, and then just make me a slave. I love this story because such a beautiful picture of grace. In Luke 15, starting in verse 24, 20 through 24, listen to what happens. It says that he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. It says that the father ran to the son. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, don't listen to that nonsense. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Get the ring or the family, get the family ring and put it on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with the feast because this son of mine who was dead is now alive. This son of mine who was lost has now been found. And it says that they began to celebrate. 
That is a picture of grace. You see, you and I were far off. And when we were far off, it says that God saw each and every one of us and that he came running. And the way that God the Father came running was by sending his one and only son to do for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. He sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In that moment when you place your faith and trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you and I will be adopted into the family of God. The father will throw his arms around your neck. He'll say, put a robe on him or her, put a ring on their finger, put sandals on their feet. Let's throw a party, let's celebrate. This son, this daughter of mine that was once dead is now alive. This son or daughter of mine that was lost has now been found and it's time to celebrate. That is a picture of grace that we come running to the Father, but the Father comes running to us and he meets us at our greatest point of need and he gives us the only thing that we need, which is himself, forgiveness of our sins, grace and mercy. He doesn't make us a slave or an indentured servant. He adopts us as sons and daughters and he puts a ring on our finger and he says, welcome home. You're mine, you're family. So let me ask you this, New Beginnings, with every head bowed and every eye closed, have you responded to the gospel? Are you part of the family of God? Have you received God's amazing gift of grace offered through his one and only son? It's the only way you can be part of the family. If you're here today and you haven't, man, I wouldn't walk out of here without doing that. If you are not part of the family of God, you can be because the gospel's for everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you come from, no matter how far you've ran and what kind of life you've lived, the gospel is for everyone. So if you're here today and you say, man, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living the life I've been living. God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need to be forgiven. I need to be part of your family. Then today can be the day. All you have to do is cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I believe you sent your one and only son for me. And I received that incredible gift of grace. God, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you make me new? Would you adopt me into your family? If that's you and you said that prayer or you prayed that prayer and asked God to save you and adopt you into his family today, I want you to know that all of heaven's throwing a party. We would love to know. We've got prayer partners in the aisles. And so here in just a few moments when we stand to worship. I, I, I just want you to be brave and courageous. I want you to be bold and courageous. So step out of the aisle, come to one of our prayer partners that's near your section and just let them know, hey, I joined the family of God today. I'm part of the family. And they, they will pray with you and they will celebrate with you. For the rest of us uh, that do belong to the family of God, I wonder what it might look like in our families, in our neighborhoods, 
in our workplaces, if we truly begin to live this out, if we truly begin to live in such a way that we believe that every person matters, that the gospel is for everyone, regardless of who they are or where they're from or what they've done, what would it look like if we begin to see them the way God sees them? What would it look like if we begin to truly lead with grace, reminding ourselves of the grace that we've received, the grace that we've been given, and so therefore we should give it to others? What would our homes, what would our workplaces, what would our neighborhoods and schools look like if we lived this way? That's a question I want you guys to wrestle with and maybe talk about over lunch today with your families. What would it look like for our family to live this way? To see that the gospel is for everyone because everyone matters, every person's valuable, and to extend the grace we've been given to others around us. Father, we love you. We trust you. We ask you to do what only you can do in this place. Would you save those who are far from you? Would you bring them into your family? We'll give you all the glory for it and we'll celebrate it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.